Amen. Thank you, Lord. All the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Good to see you guys this morning. Emerge Junior Church making their way out back. If you got somebody fifth grade under, want to go with them. Emerge Middle School be making their way down. If you got somebody middle school, want to go with them. And somebody there, he comes with a podium. Thank you, sir. If you want to be turning in your Bibles, the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 2. While they're making their way out, my apologies for once again. Thank you, brother. Greatly appreciated for not being out front. Uh, I absolutely, I can just tell you straight up, I, I love being at that door before church. I love meeting everybody coming in. I love getting to shake hands and greet people. I, I, There's just some things in life you enjoy, and that's just one of them. But I decided to get in some ragweed and pine straw and do some stuff Thursday to jack up my sinuses. And I assume that's all it is, but I don't want to risk giving anybody out there anything, so I just chose to wait and, and come in here at the end. Here in our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, before, before I read this text, I want to back up a little bit and kind of, kind of bring us up to speed on what's actually taking place here in our text this morning. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, when he wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth, there was sin in the church. There was someone inside the church that was living a, a, a life of sin and doing things inside the church, in the fellowship of the body of believers. The church hadn't dealt with it, and understand that hasn't changed. God still expects us to deal with sin today. God still expects us to deal with sin in the church today. If somebody's doing something, your Facebook page post and whatever is, is unappropriate, ungodly, and, and unchristlike. don't be offended when you're asked to clean your stuff up. Sin within the church matters. And so the Apostle Paul has written a letter to the church there at Corinth, and this is what he said to him in chapter 5 in the first letter. Verse number 1 says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Now, I want to pause on that part right there because I want you to understand at that time it's still like the, the Jewish and the Gentile separation, but in the church, as the church being formed, it's really no longer as in Jewish by, by national, nationality and Gentile but it's more of the church and Gentile. He is referring to the lost world. He is referring to those out there that are the unredeemed, unforgiven, unbought, unpurchased, unwashed, unsaved. He's talking about those that are living out there in the things of the world. And he says, even among them, there's nothing sicker than what's going on in your church. And so he goes on, he says, that one should have his father's wife. He says, you got to do something about that. You got to call this person forward, and you got to address that, and, and you got to point it out, and that's got to be dealt with. So the church did as the Apostle Paul suggested. They brought this man forth. They called out his sin. They called out what he's doing. They, they brought him before, and now the man has redeemed he, he has repented from his sin. He's no longer living in that lifestyle. He has come back around to living his life right, and he has asked for forgiveness. Now that brings us over to the second letter in chapter 2, beginning in verse number 9. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. I want you to look at verse number 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I, I, I want to I look, look at this particular section right here this morning. Lest Satan should get an advantage over us. I want to look at a message this morning that forgiveness is the key to freedom. God, thank you so much 
just want to thank you. <laughs> I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for grace that holds us when we can't stand. Thank you for your love, for your compassion on us, God. Thank you for your people, God. Thank you for these, the sheep of your pasture, God. Your fold, your purchased, your ransomed, your redeemed, your children, God. Thank you so much for the family, for the brothers and sisters. In Christ, God, I pray this morning, would you pour your blessings? Pour your blessings. I pray you touch everybody in this place. God, I pray you give them a peace from heaven. I pray you give them strength. I pray you give them all that they need to be everything that you'd have them to be, God. I pray you bless every family, every home. I pray you'd anoint from on high this day. We love you, God. You've been good to us, Father. Just want to tell you thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the devil, the devil's no different today than he's always been. Since, since the beginning of the earth, since the beginning of the time, he, he's evil. He's always been evil, and he seeks to destroy that which is good. In today's world, he has a mission, and that mission is to destroy the church. And the church is you. His mission is to destroy you. Not this building. Not just this group of believers. You. To destroy this, this fellowship, this family, this group. It has to start with you. His desire is to destroy you, your family, your home. He hates everything that is good. He hates everything that is trying to do good. We see from the very beginning of the church in the first days on the 50th day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and fell and the disciples spoke in various tongues and Peter preached. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. And the Bible goes on to say that they sold their possessions and they, they gathered and that the church was in one mind and one accord in one fellowship, man, what a glorious picture that must have been. What a, what a brief little glimpse of heaven that was. That the church was in one mind, one body, one accord for about that long. Because it didn't take long in the Acts of the Apostles till trouble started brewing. Sin started moving in the camp. People started doing things. Some started seeing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they wanted things for financial gains. And, and what we see is that the devil started working right out of the gate within the church to try and tear the church down. But the Bible says that we are not ignorant of his devices. Many times, as Brother Greg knows, when we're down at the rock altar, the men's prayer meeting on Tuesday mornings at 7 o'clock, Brother Steve Norman will make the statement, I don't want to give the devil any credit, but he's good at what he does. Well, that's kind of where I am this morning. I don't want to give that slew foot, good for nothing, hater of the children of God, I don't want to give him any credit, but you better pay attention to him. You better put a little bit of time into knowing a little something about him. So I want to take just a few minutes, not to give him any credit, but, but to look and some of his devices on my way to the main message. The name Satan means adversary. That's why Peter says that your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He is the tempter. He is the one who tempts you with your weaknesses. He is the father of all lies. He don't mind lying to you. It means nothing to lie to you, and he will lie to you through people to get you to hear what you want to hear to cause you to fail where he wants you to fail. He's the father of, of all lies. He, he is the enemy of all that is good. In the New Testament, he's called the evil one. He's called the prince of the kingdom of the air. He's called the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. He is the enemy of God, and he is the hater of all of those who are the children of God. He, he is full 
of this hatred and this revenge towards God because of the things that we'll look at in a minute. But, but he wants to take out everything that he can on God's creation. Most specifically, on God's children. The, the one that are called in the name of God. Now, he knows. He, he's, he's, he's legible. He's intelligent. He knows how to read. He's read the book. He knows more than we know that his time is short. And that he's got to get things done now while he still can. So he is trying everything that he can while he has time. He was found guilty of trying to raise his throne above the throne of God. He wanted to be higher than God. He wanted to at least be equal with God. And so he was cast out of heaven. And now he is, he's on a mission to do as much damage as God will allow in the lives of men. Key word, as much damage as God will allow. Y'all forgive me. I hope this helps. If it don't, y'all get to listen to the rest of the morning as Froggy brings you God's word. It's better. Oh, thank you, Jesus. It's better than it was this morning. I couldn't talk at all, so I promise you. I have been praying for an anointing of this podium that God would let me speak. Immediately after the creation of the earth, he deceived the first human beings, as we know the story there with Adam and Eve, but his methods hasn't changed. He's still the deceiver. He is, he is a being of incredible power. <laughs> I don't want you to study the devil. I, I don't. I don't want you to study hell or the demons or anything about it, but I want to give you a little tidbit because there's some things in Bible college that you have to do. You have to study all the cults, all the things that are out there because you have to, you have to know the size of your enemy or at least have some comprehension of the size of your enemy. But, but even against the smallest demon of hell, you and I are nothing. I mean, we're not even a gnat held behind between their fingers that they could do that and you'd be gone. The devil is an incredibly powerful being. At the name of Jesus, he is powerless. At the name of Jesus, there is nothing he can do. He is held at bay by the word of the living God in spite of all of the power that he has. He can't take human beings by force. That's why he's cunning. That's why he's crafty. God won't allow him to take you by force. God won't allow him to take people by force. But what he does do is puts the choice out there. And that's what the choice is where the free gift of God is offered. The devil's over here pulling toward the world. God says, here's my gift. So he offers it by, by choice. So he's very manipulative. He's very secretive. He, he, he works in, but the Bible says that we're not unaware of his schemes. Now, for anyone who is not the child of God, then they're still the child of the devil. We know there's heaven and hell, right? There's no purgatory. There's no in-between. There's children of God. There's children of the world. There is no in-between, and, and both are known by their fruit. Just like children of God, we should be known by our fruit. Love, compassion, goodwill towards others, good, good, good works. We're supposed to be known by those things, but the same thing is true of the children of the world. They, they, they can lie without hesitation. There's no remorse in them telling a lie. It doesn't bother them at all. They, they can steal without shame. They, they can slander others, tear people down, talk about people, lie about people to try to destroy their life. It makes no difference, and they lack the ability to forgive. <clears throat> you know, the, the Bible says <coughs> that we know a tree by its fruit. Y'all going to have to forgive me. I'll do the best I can. Well, you don't have to forgive me, but I'd appreciate it if you would. The Bible says that we'll know a tree by its fruit. A fruit is a direct picture of the root. Anybody hear me? The fruit is a direct picture of the root. The fruit that we see is a result of the root that's inside. And if the root's no good, then the fruit's no good. Let's try this again. It's true that the devil cannot do anything if God doesn't allow it. He can't do anything in our lives, but God 
does allow the devil to tempt mankind, even Christians. But while God does allow us to be tempted, God also makes a way of escape. He tells us through the writing of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. No temptation, but such as is common to man. That means no matter how bad it is, whatever you're going through, it's nothing unusual. It, it, it's only so severe on you right now because it's your turn. But it was that severe on somebody yesterday and the day before. It'll be that severe on somebody tomorrow. Every temptation that we go through it is just common to man. <clears throat> the Bible, you, you've heard it said, raise your hand if you've heard it said, that God will not put more on you than you can take. Raise your hand if you said, I don't know about that. See, here's the truth. God may put more on you than you can take. He just won't put more on you than he can take through you. See, it is the greatest trials where we have to learn to lean the most. So sometimes the trial may have to become more than you can bear on your own to teach us to lean on the only one who can bear it. Everybody will be tempted. Adam and Eve was tempted, right? First human beings here and they failed, and because of that, the result of it is that we live in this world full of sin. Jesus comes. He's the second Adam. Although he is the Son of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, he still is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit led the Son of God as our representative to be tempted by Satan. George Whitfield, great preacher back in the 1700s, I told you all I like listening to old stuff. And it's amazing that the message hasn't changed a lot. Even in the late 1700s and in the early 1800s, preachers like George Whitfield are dealing with sin. They're dealing with the things going on in the church. They're dealing with the things going on in the world. They're dealing with the signs pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. The battle has not changed. The devil continues to fight now just like he did then. George Whitfield said, There's not one saint in heaven among the fellowship of the prophets, the glorious company of the apostles, the noble army of martyrs, or the spirits of righteous men made perfect who while on this earth was not assaulted by the fiery darts of the wicked ones. You and I will be no exception. We not only have been tempted, we will be tempted. We can't prevent the temptations, but we can overcome them through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can overcome them through the one name that is above every name. When, 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 when we are tempted... Let, let me ask you this. <coughs> Have you ever thought about what, what times in your life are you most likely to be tempted? Always. Best answer. It's naive to believe that there's ever a time that you cannot or will be tempted. I think in all of our lives we know that there are seasons when the devil seems to back off for a little bit. And, and you're not going through so many trials and you're not going... Now, sometimes I believe that's a piece of God just putting a hedge about us. But sometimes I, I believe it's more of that old craftiness. He backs off for a little while. And our prayer habit begins to slide a little bit. He backs off a little while and our reading habit begins to diminish a little bit. He, he backs off a little while and may, maybe Sunday night or Sunday school or may, maybe it's not quite as important. He backs off for a little while, and you begin to feel a little better, and, and maybe you, you might even miss a Sunday morning. He backs off a little while to make, you, to make you feel like you're doing good, but all he's doing is setting you up. He may give you a little temptation that he knows you're going to succeed at. 
You understand he has a book on you, right? He knows more about you than you ever will. He knows every time you took a second look. He knows everything you pulled up on your little phone that you think nobody else is looking at. He knows everything you said. Praise God, he doesn't know what you think. But, but he does have a record, and he knows what your greatest weakness is. And there's a doubt in my mind that he will give you little things along the way in that time to let you be successful till you get to thinking you're doing pretty good. But then that one greatest weakness of yours, that's the one he comes when he comes with a vengeance. So there's never a time, there's never a time that the devil won't tempt us. But I believe there are some times when he maybe targets us more. I think one of those times is, and, and I, it's obviously some of this is just based off personal experience and, and things that I've heard from others. But I think one of the times when the devil attacks the hardest is the time when the Holy Spirit is drawing you to be saved. And I can tell you why I think that. Not just in others' lives, but in my own life. You, you've heard my story, most, most of you have, so I won't go back. But on the day that I was supposed to go to church with Robin, the devil did everything he could to keep me from going to that church. He worked all of Saturday night and all of Sunday morning to keep me from going. It had been years since I'd been in a church, and I thought I'd never go back to one. And he did everything he could. I think he saw the angels working around me. I think he saw the angels doing something. I think he saw God was up to something. And he did everything he could to keep me from getting to that appointment. And had I missed that appointment, would I have ever been saved? I don't know. See, I, I believe most of you have your own story. When it was, when, just before you were saved, you may have never even stopped and thought about it, but you think back to when you were saved, and you think of the times just prior to about the battles you faced. The, the event where you got saved, you think about the things in your life that happened to try to keep you from getting to that event, to try to keep you from getting to the place where you got saved. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not in this by myself. He did everything he could to keep you from getting to the point because he could see God doing something in your life. But I believe another time that, that he really tries to come hard, <clears throat> I thank God for the protective hedge, but, you know, once we're saved, he no longer has any power over our eternal life. We're children of God. There's nothing he can do about it. But he'll do everything that he can to destroy this life. He'll do everything he can to destroy your testimony. He'll do everything he can to take away your home, steal your joy, take away your happiness. He'll do everything he can to take you down. And, and see, I believe that, that when you first get saved, the devil knows if he could knock you off your feet then, if he could hold you down then, if he could keep you from becoming that new creature in Christ then, if he could keep you from stepping up to the plate right then, you might, you know, fall back into the things of the world. You might never become all that God has in store. But I truly believe probably the hardest times that the devil will come after any child of God is the time when they decide, I'm going to serve God. The, when you decide, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year this year, and I'm not going to fail this time, and, and you become adamant about it, and you're fulfilling it. When you decide, I'm going to have a daily prayer life. I'm going to put a time in my life. I'm going to bow before God. I'm going to spend time with him. Nothing's going to change it. I'm going to serve God. We've talked about this a few times before. The devil's not bothered by you coming to church every once in a while. The, the devil's not bothered by you holding down a pew. The, the devil's not bothered by you telling someone you're a Christian. Especially if you got things in your life that says you're not, because that just gives them reason not to want what you got. You think the devil's bothered by you coming up in casual Christianity every once in a while on a Sunday morning? The devil don't mind you being here. He might, especially if you're sitting there on your phone, not getting anything out of him, not paying attention. He don't mind you being here. He just assume you do Facebook here or sitting on your sofa. I don't mind him. If you'll talk to others around you and be a distraction to those around you. 
and keep people from paying attention. He don't mind you being here to distract others. But when you decide, I'm going to serve God. I'm all in. I'm surrendering everything to you, God. I ain't in this part-time. This ain't fire insurance. This is, this is life change. I want to serve you. When you decide to set out to serve God with all your heart, I believe that that is the time when the enemy is going to come to try to do everything he can to knock you off your feet and put you back in your seat. I don't know who said this. It was a quote that I heard, and they didn't give who said it. It said, when you've decided in your heart to follow the Lord, be prepared for the temptations of the evil one. This life is a continual warfare. Thank God for the times of peace in between the valleys. Amen. Thank God that the mountaintops exist and the valleys on each side, but we get times of rest and, and times of, of strengthening. But as long as we're alive in this body, we'll fight battles. We'll face trials. We'll go through the temptations of the evil one. But this morning, I, I want to talk for just a few minutes. I, I want to talk to the born again. I, I, I want to talk to the one who you are truly washed in the blood. You're a born-again child of God, and you know it. You're going to heaven when you leave this life, and you know it, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Christ has done and because of the gift that you've received. I, I want to I talk to the one that is all in, not to the one having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, not to casual Christianity, not, not to part-timers, one foot in, one foot out, not to the one that's Christian on Sunday, Christian on depending on what day of the week it is, and who's around you. If you're, part, if you're partly in and partly out, you can leave now. It doesn't matter because the rest of this has nothing to do with you. I, I want to talk to the one that's sold out. To the one that you want God to use your life to make a difference in your life and use you in this world. And you're looking to be everything that God wants you to be. So I want to take just a few minutes and talk to the children of God. Just a, a small little sampling of some of the things that the devil will do to try to tear us down. <clears throat> Number one, he'll attempt to drive us to doubt. The devil, the, the devil will want you to, to doubt that you're good enough. He'll want you to doubt that there is any way that God could love you. How could God forgive what I've done? See, you don't know what I've done, but I do. How could God forgive someone like me? Why would God hear my prayer? Why would God listen to anything I have to say? I, I know what I've done, even as a Christian. So, so the devil wants to step in because if there's any doubt, it's the seed of a lack of power. We can't be everything that God wants us to be if we have a sense of doubt in our mind. We see it with, with Jesus and the temptation there in the wilderness when, when the Holy Spirit carried him out. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 3, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones. He said it again in verse number 7. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. So, so we see that even with the Son of God, he made an attempt to try to create some form of doubt. And he tries to use Scripture in his temptation. Just because somebody uses the Scripture to you doesn't necessarily mean anything. The devil uses Scripture all the time. He knows this book better than you can ever hope to. I don't care how much you read it. He's going to do the same thing to you and I. Boy, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. If you were a Christian, you would have. You wouldn't think that. You, you wouldn't have looked at that. You, you, you wouldn't be like you are if you were a Christian. God gave me this. I wrote it down. I'll just give it to you. It's not the magnitude or the quantity of your sins that can destroy us. It is the unwillingness to believe that God can and will forgive us of all of our sins. The Bible says that a little leaven spoils the whole lump. A little bit of sin tears down the whole thing. 
to doubt what God has done for you would be a sin. We're not to doubt the goodness of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God. So if the devil can get anything in, it's just a little start. I was, I was thinking, I don't remember who it was. I was talking to somebody. Somebody was talking about how a snake gets in or a rat gets in and something in their house. And, but, but I thought about it while I was studying this. The, the devil's just like a rat. He's just like a rat. The devil doesn't need an open door to get in your house. All he needs is a tiny little crack in the armor. They can slide through any little thing, and that's how the devil is. He don't need you to open your life to sin. All he needs is a little chink in the armor. He just needs to get some, some doubt in. Number two is the temptation to be proud. The Bible says, lest you be puffed up. Be careful not to think that you are more than other Christians. If you are off the pew and you are serving and you're in children's ministries and he's alive and all the different ministries, be careful not to think that you're more than another Christian. You're setting yourself up for failure. None of us are anything except what God has made us or allowed us to be. So, so when you begin to compare yourselves to other Christians, you've got the wrong benchmark. Jesus Christ is the benchmark. And if we keep Jesus Christ as the benchmark, it'll keep us lowly. It'll keep us humble. It is a lot easier to work to try to be humble than it is to be humbled. Conversation with some really good friends has brought that to the top of my prayer life for the past many weeks. God, help me. Help me to be humble that I don't have to be humbled. Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Proverbs chapter 16, the Bible says in verse 18, that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 5, that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Number three, let me give you this one. Satan will attempt to cause us to doubt God when your prayers seem to go unanswered. When your prayers seem to go unanswered. Every Christian in here has been saved for any length of time we've gone through dry seasons. We've gone through times when, when we prayed, and it, it's like we're talking to the air. It, it's like God's not hearing anything. I don't, I don't see anything. It seems like he's not listening. <coughs> you know, it seems to be being around new Christians and even having been a new Christian one time. It seems to be that God might hear prayers a little more quickly a lot of times. It seems to be that God answers some prayers. There's some little trials that come along, and God seems to show up. I was studying that. I was, I was looking at that, and I see some reality in that. Because as a new Christian, God's trying to teach us to trust him. God's trying to teach us that prayer works. God's trying to teach us that I hear you and will act accordingly. But as we become more mature Christians, the level of the trials have to go up. The level of the desire has to increase. And it seems like the longer we are as Christians and the stronger you become, not just the harder the trials become, but sometimes those seasons of dryness when it seems like God's not listening. So I was thinking about it. Bodybuilders didn't start out Hulk Hogan. They started out some little bitty dude that decided they wanted to be Hulk Hogan. And they started out with whatever weight they could lift. And they lifted what they could as many times as they could. And they rested. And they did it again as many times as they could. And they did it day in and day out until eventually they became that guy. But they didn't start out bench pressing 500, 600 pounds. They started out doing what they could. They started out with little stuff, and they built their way up. The same thing is true in our faith. 
As we become more mature in Christ, it's like the things that we go through, the trials become heavier. And when the trial becomes heavier and you feel like God's not hearing you, that's when the devil wants to whisper in your ear and say, see, God's not listening. God's forgotten you. God's forsaken you. He's, he's not here. The devil wants to whisper the lies and, and bring those things in and make us think that God doesn't care. And then even when it seems useless, seems like God's not listening, <clears throat> everything seems hopeless. James says in chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It's during those times when the devil tries to get us to fail. You ever been at a standstill and you're trying to grow, you're trying to do what God wants you to do, but it's like you don't know what to do next. And, and you're praying and, and you want God to show you what to do next. You're seeking God, but you feel like God's not telling you anything. You feel like God's not giving you direction. You, you feel like you don't know what to do next. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Help me here. Let me know if I'm talking to anybody. Because I'm going to give you something that somebody gave me that it helped me tremendously, and I believe it will help you. I can't remember who it was. I do know based on reason of the time of when I was in a season of not knowing, God, what is it you want me to do? A, a feeling, a time of uncertainty, a bit of a dryness and not understanding what God wants me to do next. I know because of the time it was either Pastor Bruce Freeman or it was Pastor Ike Reichard. Because there's two men that I talked to. And so I'm 99% I'm positive one of them two told me. When you're at that place and you don't know what it is that God wants you to do next, you go back to the last thing that you know God told you to do. And you stay there and do that with all your heart until God gives you something else. I pray it'll help somebody because it was certainly a, a big help to me. Number four, another Satan schemes is he'll use those around you to get to you. He'll use lost friends. He'll use lost coworkers, those that you have to be around, people you have to be associated with. But he'll use your family. He'll use those closest to you, and they don't have to be lost. He'll get those in your inner circle, the one closest to you. If the devil can get in, he will use them to try to get to you. It's in the book. He did it to Adam. The devil didn't tempt Adam. He used Eve to tempt Adam. He did it to Job. Did God not let the devil touch Job? took his family, all that he had, all of his wealth, all of everything, and then God let him touch his body. He had boils and sores all over his body, so he's living in constant pain. Yet Job said nothing against God. Who did the devil send in? His wife. Why don't you just curse God and die? Who did he use for Abraham? Abraham. God sent the angels, told Abraham, you're going to have a son. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Your, your seed will be as the stars of the heaven and as the sands of the seashores innumerable. God said that. It was a promise. But he used Sarah to say, why don't you take Hagar and have Ishmael? It's not the promise of God. I'm telling you, the devil will use whoever he can in our circle to try to persuade us to do ungodly things. But here's the message. I just I wanted to get there because I want us to understand who we're dealing with. I want us to understand people around us are not the enemy. Sin is the enemy. The devil is the enemy. The devil is the one seeking to devour you, looking to tear you down. But as I close, I, I want to talk about this one thing that Satan uses. I believe this possibly hinders Christian growth as much as anything on the planet. I, I believe this one holds Christians at bay and, and it keeps them from becoming all that God has for them to be. I believe it's easy for the devil to use 
because it comes so natural to us. See, even as Christians, this particular sin operates within us, and we don't even try to overcome it. Anybody hear me? As a Christian, reading your Bible, praying, coming to church, trying to do all that we can to serve God, this is a sin that lives in many of our lives that we don't even try to overcome because we feel like we have a right to it. See, even though our salvation has forgiven us of all of our sins, and even though we're no longer held bondage by sin and we're no longer captives there in the world, this is one chain that remains unbroken because we choose to hold on to it. It's the sin of unforgiveness. Every one of us as Christians have been forgiven for the unforgivable. You agree with that? Every one of us has been forgiven of things that, that, that Lord, if, if we feel like if, even though it's forgiven and forgotten and everything we got, if, if, if it were posted on the screens, we'd have to crawl out under the pews and never come back. We know that we have been forgiven of our most despicable acts. And the Word of God tells us that freely we have received and freely we are to give. Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, Whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. The same thing is true with forgiveness. How much have you been forgiven for? What, what has God forgiven in your life and he says freely we're given freely give and in spite of the fact that we've been forgiven of our most evil deeds we we carry around anger we carry around bitterness we carry around resentment we carry around unforgiveness matthew chapter 6 jesus taught us how to pray our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name he starts out giving glory to God. That's the way you pray all to start. Thank you, God. Give glory and honor to his name because he's worthy. Amen. Then, and then he says that we're to pray for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven, to be done in my life as it is there, to be what you want me to be. And then, and then he goes on and says that we're to ask God to take care of our daily needs in verse 11, to give us this day our daily bread. But in verse number 12 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. That means that we're supposed to ask God to forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our sins. But there's two words right here that seem to get overlooked even as we say the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What that tells me is I can expect to get the level of forgiveness that I give. So if I'm not willing to forgive others, then why do I have reason to expect forgiveness? Jesus goes on in that prayer. He says, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as soon as he says amen, with his very next breath, he goes right back to forgiveness. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You say, but you don't know what they did to me. Doesn't matter what they did to you. You, you don't know what they did to my family, to my home, to me personally. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they caused. It doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't say forgive all except. The, the Bible says that, that we are to forgive others. Carrying a grudge hurts no one but you see the grudge that you carry adds no weight to the person you carry it against carrying bitterness hatred anger towards something that someone did to you carrying that against them puts nothing on their plate it weights down yours it doesn't hold back them it holds back you if you want to be free and we have to learn to forgive. It's not something that you can do alone. It's not something you can do on your own. You, you have to learn how to pray. 
for the one that hurt you. Jesus said, Luke chapter 6, verse 27, I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. We have to learn how to forgive. If we know we've hurt someone, it is our responsibility to go to them and ask for forgiveness. Whether or not they forgive you makes no difference. You get it off your plate. You go to them and you ask for forgiveness and you make it right. If a friendship, relationship, whatever is restored, we'll praise God. But the bottom line is if you've hurt somebody and you know it, go get that off your plate. But it's for the ones that have hurt us. The, the Bible says that we're to pray for them whether they ever ask for forgiveness or not. They don't have to be sorrowful that they hurt you. They don't have to be remorseful for what they did to you. It, it doesn't have to bother them. They don't have to lose a wink of sleep over what they did to you. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with us. Pray for the enemy. Here's, here's the plain, simple truth. I promise you. I promise you this works. I promise you. I know for a fact. I learned it accidentally just because of what God did, but I'm, I promise you. When you get, y'all paying close attention because I'm done. This is closed, but this is important. I promise it's going to help somebody. When you begin to pray for the one that you can't stand, you hear what I said? Got personal in, didn't it? Y'all know we're living in the same world. When you begin to pray for the one that you can't stand, God will begin to do something in you. But it's not an overnight thing. You can't force yourself one time, gritting your teeth to say the prayer, and I've done it. Mad at them. Don't care if they die. I just don't want anything bad to happen in this life. God, I can't stand them, and you know I can't. I don't want to forgive them. Don't even ask him for that. So it may start out with your teeth gritted. And it may start out with some anger. But you got to pray until you mean it. If you will make yourself pray for the one that you can't stand, what you'll find somewhere down the way it worked for me, somewhere down the road, you're praying for them or you run up and you realize all that's gone. Your hatred's gone. Your bitterness is gone. And never once did I ask God for that. All I did was pray for them. You want to learn? You want to learn how to do forgiveness and how to get past? See, James says in chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Choosing to carry around bitterness is not resisting the devil. Choosing to carry around unforgiveness is not resisting the devil. Choosing to carry these things is simply falling right into his trap. If we don't resist the devil, then we'll end up falling away from the things of God. Because the devil will continue to lure us in the wrong way. <clears throat> Dale so greatly used the piano as the illustration a couple of weeks ago and talked about the little crack. All, all the devil needs is a little bit of opening. All the devil needs is a little bit of way into your life. And if he can get in with a little bit of sin, he'll eventually get the door open. He'll, he'll pry it open. And we work hard to try to cover a lot of things. We try to tell people about Jesus. We try to be an example at work. We come to church. We work in ministries. We try to live a life. We want people to see Christ in us. We do everything we can, and we try to carry a sealed tight vessel that the devil can't get into, but yet we carry around unforgiveness against somebody because they hurt us. And it's a chink in the armor that lets the devil in. And it's never going to be sealed until we learn to forget the ones that hurt us. I believe unforgiveness is holding a lot of Christians back. I believe it's holding a lot of churches back. I believe it causes a lot of problems because we carry around stuff that's not ours to carry. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand where you are. And I want to ask you to bow your heads. And the altar is always open.
If you need help, you can pray where you are. You don't have to come to the altar. Wherever you are is always good. But the altar is a great place. You, you, you need help. I want you to come this morning and ask God. I doubt that there's any of us in here that doesn't have somebody that we're angry at. Somebody that hadn't done us wrong. Somebody that we're carrying around unforgiveness. And it is the unforgiveness that will keep us from becoming everything that God has. It's the little, the little crack in the door that lets the devil come in. These guys are going to sing a song. I'm going to take a few minutes and pray. If you got anything you need God to help you with, this is a great place to put it. If you got, if you got somebody, <laughs> when I said somebody you can't stand, most everybody in here thought of somebody. Come put their name down here. I'm not going to ask you to write it down. I'm just going to ask you to bring that name that you thought and put it right down here and ask God to help you get that thought out of your mind. Pray for them. Listen, pray for God to bless them. Pray for God to touch them. If they're lost, pray for God to save them. If they're saved, pray for God to use them. But I'm telling you, pray for them. Not for yourself. Pray for the one that's bothering you. God will do something in you that you can't explain.